Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. From her very earliest memories, Dari was transfixed by stories. First, those read to her by her mother when she was a youngster, and then those she learned to read for herself. Her imagination fired, and a storyteller emerged. When her family moved to the River Murray town of Swan Hill in Victoria, her creativity soared and stories of the river have been with her since. She first penned a novel in 1983 when on adventure in Alice Springs. 33 years and many drafts later, that handwritten story became Daughter of the Murray, published in 2016 with Harlequin Mera, a division of HarperCollins Australia. Convinced that Australian history was far more than the yawn-inducing lessons of secondary school and drawn to the latter half of the 19th century, Derry weaves factual iconic events, people, and places into her mystery and adventures in the colonies. She confesses to a love of the research. Derry Fraser has since 2016 eight novels and one novella published by HarperCollins. The Fourth Right Woman was released in November 2022. At home on Kangaroo Island, She's currently in the middle of Story 2025 with her trusty supervisor, Hamish the Wonder Dog, by her side. Having sold over 700,000 copies of her books, Fleur MacDonald has solidified her position as one of the country's favorite storytellers. Fleur draws inspiration from having lived and worked for much of her life on farms and now owns 4,050 hectares across regional Western Australia. Having written 20 novels, most of them featuring her leading detective Dave Burroughs, Fleur continues to write two books a year, releasing one in April and one in November. Noisy Nights, the first of two children's books, was published by New Frontier Publishers in August 2016, and the second, What Does a Horse Say?, came out in August 2018. She lives in Esperance, WA, with an energetic Kelpie Jack and a couple of young adults who come and go as they please. Lisa Ireland is an Australian author and writing mentor with seven published novels across various genres. A passionate community builder, Lisa enjoys supporting organizations that advocate for human rights and the arts, twin passions she explores in her latest novel, The One and Only Dolly Jamison. After working for many years as a teacher and a brief stint as a professional organizer before Marie Kondo made it cool, Lisa Ireland is now a full-time writer. Lisa lives with her husband in a small town in Gippsland, Victoria. When not writing, she spends her time mentoring aspiring authors, drinking coffee, and playing minion to her incredibly spoiled dog, Lulu. The one and only Dolly Jamison is Lisa's seventh novel, following her most recently, The Secret Life of Shirley Sullivan. The one topic that I wanted to chat to these three amazing authors about today, which is the struggle of being an author outside of a main city. Now, clearly, we're all not in New York, which seems like the epicenter of all things publishing. But we know that stories come from everywhere, right? But how does that affect us? How does that affect not only maybe the writing, maybe it has a good effect, 
you can shut everything down. <laughs> your, your internet access is down. And so you got nothing to do but go and write your stories. But afterward, connection to your agent or your publisher or going on promotional tour. And another thing I wanted to eventually chat about, which is the connection to other writers and community with a, a job, a calling that is so often thought of as is just a very individual thing. But anybody who's listened to the podcast before knows that I believe strongly in community for writers. So how do each of you, and feel free to jump in, you can introduce yourself if you want so the listeners can get an idea of whose voice is whose. How, how is that affecting you even just today or you're all at different stages of promotion as well, I believe? It's difficult for me because uh, for the last, say, 10, 15 years perhaps, I've been here on the island riding away madly but without that community, without that tribe. Mm. And it's been very recently that I've been able to connect with a few writers that have, uh, let's say, come out of their closet um, (laughs) just very recently, but certainly not writers in my particular genre, for instance. Uh, So finding my uh, local tribe, I'll say, has been tricky, but I have very recently um, taken up a friendship with a younger person who is an aspiring author, and I'm finding that... (laughs) besides sitting in my own little bat cave, I actually have something to offer this person by way of assisting. So that's given me a whole other area to to look at. But the way I do most everything is over the internet, whether it's connecting with other writers or libraries or my publisher or, or whatever, because that's about the only way I have to, first of all, have a visual idea of who I'm talking to yeah. and, and to get that, that, that tribal, uh, tribal, <laughs> that feeling of tribe. Uh, and I'm not as prolific, I guess, as Lisa or Fleur and our genres are different. Uh, so I think within the tribe, there are circles within circles. So yeah. it's been, it's been tricky. Difficult is neither here nor there. I think you find your, your work around and mm. go with that. Yeah. So over to somebody else. <laughs> um, I, I feel a little bit. Like I'm a bit of an imposter here because I have only been in a really remote sort of part of the country for the last 12 months. So I moved here. I was in regional regional Victoria, so uh, down the coast at Ocean Grove, So, which is, for people who don't know, that's sort of near Geelong. So it's a regional area, but it's still very well serviced. And so I was like half an hour from Geelong, which means that everything that's available in Melbourne is pretty much available in Geelong. So... I've come down here now. I'm I'm about I'm probably about three hours east of Melbourne now in a tiny little town with we've got about two thousand people that live in my town. So it's quite small. And you mentioned, Anjanette, that we are all at different stages of, you know, writing in terms of where we're at in the promotion cycle. And I've got a book coming out in January. And it's the first time, like I'm new to town. 
I, I feel quite disconnected. It's every other time I've had a book launch, I've had friends and family around me and lot and being sort of really well known in my local community. Whereas I've moved to quite a small town. I don't know anyone here or not many people. I'm starting to make a few connections. Um, so that's an interesting experience for me. But I think like what Dari was saying, we do connect a lot over the internet. And I think I have brought my fellow writers with me, my my little crew that I had, my, you know, uh, friends from, from Melbourne and, and Geelong. I'm in touch with them constantly via the internet. I do actually go back to Melbourne quite a lot. <laughs> okay. I find myself, I, I think I'm sort of in that transition period where I've got a bit of um, FOMO where I'm seeing. Yes people that I so I was quite active in amongst a lot of Melbourne writers we had a little crew where we would go out once every couple of months for dinner and that I found that face-to-face connection really great and I'm missing that but I've started my own I I came down here and I thought well I'm going to see if I can join a writers group and there wasn't one already established uh, here where I am and so I thought well I'm just going to get off my backside and do it myself and so I've you know slowly cobbled together this very diverse group of writers uh, and we're all at different stages where some of us are uh, independently publishing, some are published with major publishers, some are published here in Australia, some overseas. So we've all got different stuff going on but the point of us getting together is just to talk about it's just to talk about the writing and being a writer. And I'm, you know, we've only met a few times, but I'm really hopeful that that's going to be an ongoing thing. Yay. That's exciting. I've got my fingers crossed for you. Thank you. What about you, Fleur? I think you're the most yeah. remote. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so I now live in Esperance, the outskirts of Esperance, which is like about seven hours south of Perth or southeast of Perth. Um, but before that, I was 100Ks out of Esperance on a farm. And when I started writing, uh, I was still married and I was in a pretty tricky relationship and there was no support um, for my writing. And I used to sort of write down in the spare room and all the, all the while keeping a bit of an eye on the, the driveway to make sure that my ex wasn't coming home. And so there was a real isolation with that. And then in a month or that, my mother-in-law was terminally ill and I was looking after her. I looked after her for the last four years of her life as well as working on the farm. And I've got two kids with disabilities. So um, that was all pretty tricky. And I just didn't have the time or the energy to create relationships with other writers. We had sort of started <clears throat> with a few of the WA girls, so like Fiona Palmer and, and so forth. But, you know, as Mrs. Matt got sicker and sicker, I just had no time, no energy. And my life has never seemed to get any any less busy. So <laughs> yeah. I really, when I, when I got divorced and moved to town, I thought, oh, well, I'll be able to, you know, create my own space around this and do what I want to do. And I still, I still do what I want to do, but I find that because I still farm and because I, you know, writing two books a year, there's not a huge amount of time either. And I, I love getting together with, so I make sure that I go to Sydney. Uh, yeah. and see my publishers over there, you know, like once a year and we have a big meeting. And it's really interesting just to come across, you know, sit down and talk 
the the actual nuts and bolts of the industry. That's what I really enjoy, the business side of it. Mm. You know, so like I was over there in um in uh, um October, no, November. And um <laughs> And I had had dinner with the CEO of Allen and Unwin. We we're just talking about the differences in pricing. So you know, paper has gone from a thousand dollars a ton to two thousand dollars a ton. You know, in the space of six months, and and that's you know that's the stuff I find really really interesting. And having you know been shut down here and locked into WA um, over COVID, yeah, we really relied on the internet and. To, to talk, talk to all of our readers and and so I've tried to be very very proactive on Facebook and Instagram and I, oh, I can't believe it but I've joined TikTok <laughs> I feel ridiculous <laughs> while I'm doing that um, but you know they're the way from where I'm sitting that's where I get to connect to my readers and the tour that I just did all through November where I got on in the car and I drove I did 9,926 k's I think it was over 25 days I did two events every day and that was the best thing you know um it was so great to be able to talk to all the readers because when you're sitting here in the in the office and you're writing all by yourself you have no idea what impact you have on people's lives or what impact your stories have on people's lives. And that's, I had two or three really amazing stories come back to me. There was a lady that had had a stroke and she was really ready to to finish everything. And she sat down and she read all of the 20 of, the, of my books uh, and wow. that just kept her going until she was in a better space, you know. So those stories are invaluable and you can't get them unless you're there eyeballing somebody. Yeah. Wow. What I find most fascinating and not surprising, but still fascinating. Again, every writer is different, right? We might often identify as introverted. I'm introverted, a very talkative introvert. I get it, but introverted nonetheless, but there are lots of extroverted writers. But still, no matter where you are on that spectrum, it is a bit of a balance. And what I love hearing from each of you in your stories, whether you've moved or not, and each one of you has had this shift in where you are, but you all did something that was slightly outside or way outside your comfort zone when it came to getting the needs met of that sort of community feel. Right, Derry, you're doing something that feels a little bit more like a mentorship, which I highly recommend, uh, especially just as women, as we get older and we're no longer this younger. And instead of feeling on the outer, i.e., I I think I've done one TikTok. <laughs> so I'm with you, Fleur. I feel like a little bit of an imposter there. But recognizing that there are people up and coming and you can feel more fully you as a writer by interacting with somebody who isn't quite there yet and giving them hope and practical stuff. And then Lisa waiting or seeing, hey, maybe there's a, you know, like a writer's group around here and you didn't see anything. So you just did it. Creating that space and then balancing, right? Recognizing some of what we have to get because of where we are. And for listeners, I'm about two hours north of Sydney. So for my job as an agent, certainly for anything else I do, I'm really not perfectly placed. All of us might have that experience of FOMO. So I'm glad you brought that up, Lisa, because that was definitely one of the things I thought I'd raise my hand and say, how do you deal with that? And it's probably an ongoing thing, right? It's just, it's a mindset. You're going to be able to do some things 
and you're not going to be able to do other things. <laughs> Just have to, I don't know. How do you deal with it? Maybe I should start there. How do you deal with, you see your friends? Because I know a couple of your writerly uh, Melbourne friends. And you would see them not just maybe because on social media, they're going to be posting about things and you'll know maybe about some private things too. But how do you balance that? You made a choice, presumably, and you're where you would like to be at this stage or at this time in your life, in your writing. But that means you're further away from this center. Look, for me... I am one of those writing extroverts, or I like to think of myself as an ambivert because I'm actually quite shy until I get to know people, but I talk a lot and I like the company of other people and I don't like, like I need that personal time, that quiet time to for creative, for creation, so to, to write, but I get very uh, low if I don't have connection with other people. So I'm not someone that can just go off and not spend time with other people for months on end. I I, I, I need a balance. And mm-hmm. so COVID, because I, I obviously I was I'm from um Victoria and from the Geelong region, which was the second most affected by lockdown. So we had we were often because we're close to Mount we're close to Melbourne, we were often locked in at the same time as Melbourne. So not quite as often, but often the rest of regional Victoria would come out of lockdown, but Geelong would be on the Melbourne track. So we spent a lot of time in lockdown over 2020 and 2021. And that was awful in a lot of ways, but it also provided some really great things. And so I've become a lot more connected to both readers and other writers. So I started mentoring, formally mentoring. So I have, um, I mentor aspiring authors, both, you know, in groups and individually. And so I started that as a side business. I couldn't really write during, I was writing, but I wasn't writing successfully during COVID. Yeah. So I was really worried that I would never get another book published again because I just lost all my creativity. I found it really difficult. And you would think that being in lockdown, you would think I've got all the time in the world. Um, This is going to be the most creative time of my life. But And for some people it was, but for other writers like me, we really struggled. So started mentoring the aspiring authors. And like Dari mentioned before, that's been really great for me because the more you talk about writing, the more, for me anyway, the more I talk about writing, the more energised I get about my own work. So talking and teaching writing to other people. So I've got that connection. But I also, in desperation, uh, developed, started using these like voice messaging apps to keep in touch with my girlfriends who were um, in Melbourne and that has continued. So I I regularly connect. When I say regularly, I mean maybe three or four or five times a day to certain authors via a voice messaging app where we just leave each other messages and that sometimes we do it in real time. Other times if I'm busy, I let the voice message go and I'll, I'll listen to it later. But that has really kept me active. But as you said, there is the FOMO when you know, and I'm always invited. I'm always invited to every dinner that they have, everything that happens in Melbourne I get invited to, but obviously I can't be driving up the highway, you know, once a week. So I do feel a little bit of FOMO, but just having that personal connection on a on a daily basis that helps me keep 
feel like I'm still connected to that group. And like I just went to Melbourne last weekend for our annual author Christmas catch-up and it was just so great to see everyone in person. And, and look, we do connect. We often do events together. So we might, for instance, I've got the author Jane Cockrum coming up here to stay with me in February and we'll do an event together and then towards the end of the month Sally Hepworth will come up and we'll do an event in a different bookshop. So I do still manage to get a little bit of social time in. I like hearing about using the apps to your advantage. So it's really interesting that using the voice talking apps, and I've used Voxer for ages, but that that helps to alleviate some of the stress that can build up inside (laughs) from the FOMO because you're doing that thing and at least getting the interaction that you need. That you know, like you said, as an ambivert, you sort of need a little bit of both. You can't just be all the way one way or just all the way the other way. How about you, Derry? How do you deal with, look, there are things that happen down in (laughs) South Australia and in Adelaide and there are big events. How do you deal with being a little bit further removed still with any FOMO or does it not bother you either way? Certainly not as kilometers as Fleur, but um, just as remote as almost the moon mm-hmm. when, when it comes to having the opportunity or even knowing about certain events and whatever not that go on on the mainland. And I don't know whether it goes the other way, whether Adelaide or, or, or pe- events people in Adelaide tend to think, oh, well, Kangaroo Island has dropped off the end of the earth. We won't <laughs> bother asking Darry or communicating with Darry and whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't want that to sound like a whinge because I could certainly uh, be more proactive in that space. But my, my, my writing for me, my creative, if you like, takes up a lot of headspace for me, as I presume it does for others. And so that promo side of my brain isn't always with it. So unless I know something's happening or unless somebody invites, which is extremely rare, I often don't know what's going on across that stretch of water, which is only 17 kilometres <laughs> and 45 minutes, but it can be a little bit adventurous crossing at times. So I need to have a little bit of time up my sleeve to go across or first of all, to find these things. Secondly, to let people know that I am available for events or whatever not. And if I can make it, I certainly will. And I prefer to make it if I can. Uh, so the distance thing and the remoteness thing and, and, you know, I'd love to be able to jump in my car and go anywhere for a three-day weekend and tour here, there and everywhere. I, I can't, I just can't do that. I've, I've got a car and I can pick up the phone and make a ferry booking. But if the weather's bad, the whole lot's gone. Uh, fear of missing out is something I've just had to shelve and work with as best I can within. The other thing I find is that I believe my subgenre is quite narrow. So there's mm. not a big readership. Is that the right word for Australian historical fiction? Or I prefer to say fiction set in history. So I just wonder whether, you know, shelving the FOMO means that I don't have to think about that. I just get on with what I do, get on with what I love doing. And hopefully that people will spring up and say, you know what, Dari's probably really keen if we let her know there's something going on. <laughs> <All> right, okay. <laughs> so, um, I'm, yeah, I think I think that's where I am. I don't know if I'm an ambivert. I think I'm a, a talking introvert and there's a certain amount of play acting that goes when yeah. you're in a room full of people you don't know. Oh. So you're an author. If you're an author 
uh, in a room full of other authors, then you've got a fair idea that you're going to know what you're talking about to somebody else. And that's a lovely thing with readers. They they want a whole different side of you. So yeah. that, that sort of works both ways. But for me, getting back to the FOMO and, and things like that, I just have to shelve it and just have to hope that when I go somewhere, people are really keen to see me and and have a chat. Well, it sounds more intentional, right? And so because you've shelved it, when you are somewhere, it was like clearly <laughs> you have to get on the phone and book the the ferry and all of that. It's not just, uh, oh, here, it's on a whim. Somebody says, hey, come meet us down at this restaurant really quickly. It's everything that you're doing, you've intended to do. And so you're showing up in that way. And I think that can actually be beautiful. And what if, if you're not pushing in, if you're not <laughs> saying, hey, I'll be there and you weren't invited, nobody wants to see <laughs> like, True. I mean, True. that is... I don't want to be doing that. Yeah, I think that, well, it's a good question. What is that balance of consistently, I don't want to say constantly, but consistently, and then making a choice for yourself. When do I want to remind people, knowing they're not forgetting because there's any animosity or dislike or any disinterest, it's just people. So getting yourself to a place where you know, oh, you know what I need to do, a few months out or a month out is remind people, hey, I have availability. I would think too, with where you live, time of year and weather patterns is a big indicator of how easily you will be able to get there. So knowing, hey, I just have to remind people I'm over here and then they'll happily do it. And then you're avoiding that pushing in feeling. I couldn't push in if I... I don't know. <laughs> I get you. I get you. But so, but again, finding that balance between taking steps that you know will feel good to you, but that are still a little bit bumping up against the edge of, of your comfort zone saying, and then not being tied to whatever outcome and not taking it personally. There are so many personal development, quote unquote, lessons that we need learning when it comes to being a writer right? So you think it's about the writing and, you know, it is, everybody's working on their craft, (laughs) but the personal development side is really big, which is one of the reasons we have this podcast as well, not just to interview amazing writers, but to get into these conversations that writers have between themselves. What about you, Fleur? And again, being where you are, but you've always been based in WA, similar but different when it comes to lockdown. But there's just, it's so for people who don't know about the landmass of Australia, when we talk about Perth, we're talking about, say, Southern California. And then a lot of the action happens on the East Coast, which would be maybe not up in New York, but maybe a little bit north of Florida. So if you're a US listener, you'll know you're talking about the entire stretch. And in between, there is not nearly as much as there is in in the US. So saying Perth means a five-hour flight, isn't it? If you take a flight from Perth to Sydney, is that five hours? Yep, would be about five hours. It's six hours to Brisbane and about Two and a half to Adelaide, I think it is. It's been a long time since I've been on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you took a flight. Didn't you take a flight or did you drive both ways? For the- I, drove, I drove on my tour. I drove Amazing. both ways. The only, 
The only place that I didn't drive to was I got to Canberra and I flew from Canberra to Sydney because I was too frightened to drive in Sydney. Oh, I'm you. used to dealing with <laughs> I'm used to de- dealing with kangaroos and sheep on the road, not uh, not lots of other cars. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Look, I'm not even that far. And I lived in Sydney for years and years. And now the longer you're away, the harder it is to go back and get comfortable with it because it feels tightly packed, especially going over the bridge. Yeah. Uh, But so how do you deal with that? Or do you feel it as much? Is it just par for the course? Because that's what you've done. I mean, I know you say you've gone down from Esperance, obviously you've made connections with WA based authors, most of whom, am I guessing, most of whom are based closer around Perth than you are? Yeah. Yes. I have a, I'm a really funny mix of an introvert and an extrovert because I love being around people and talking, but I also need a break after I've done all of that. And I've found that that's got that break away from people has got bigger since I've got older as well. Um, so, you know, I, I find that the like, I love getting out and talking to people, but when I come home, it's like, yep, take a breath and then um, we can I can start. I've got to get home and do things that are grounding, like I've got to get back in the sheep yards or I've got to cook or I've got to do my washing, you know, like I've just got to have things that are really normal for me because it's such a... Like being on this last tour, it's actually really unhealthy having two events a day, being told how good you are to and how much people love your books, um, you know, twice a day. It's actually not good for, for anybody, I don't, I don't think. But, you know, like, like I, I when I go to Perth, we had, uh, I know that there was some writers that got together for drinks up in Perth for Christmas last week. Now, the trouble with that being seven hours away is I was already up there three days previously and I can't go. I had If I stay up there, then I've got to fork out for three extra nights accommodation and, you know, find something to do for those three days. And, and that, so I, it's really hard to fit all of all of that type of thing in, I suppose. But when I get invitations to go and speak, because I, I do a lot of public speaking, if, you know, obviously if I'm invited, Women's Days being rural, rurally based, uh, rural Women's Days and so forth. So I always say yes to those things, but only been in the last little while that I've asked to have my costs covered. Now, again, in a, I'm in a really interesting situation where I can afford to get myself there and get myself back again where I know a lot of other authors can't do that. But I've it's really now important to me that if I'm asked to go somewhere that I do get my costs covered because, you know, for me to go anywhere, I've got at least a day's travel, a day doing what they want me to do and a day back again. So that's three days away from my computer um, with deadlines on the 1st of September and the 1st of March. And then with the with those deadlines that when they're due, then I've also got, you know, the books coming out on the 1st of November and the 1st of April. So it's all, yes, it's all fairly a tight turnaround. So it's really, I think it's really important that I, I I hate doing it because it makes me feel like I'm worth a lot more than what I actually am, if that makes sense. But I think we need to we need to value our time as, as well. 100%. I was going to oh, go ahead, Lisa. I was just going to say I wanted to add to what Fleur was saying, and I, I've started saying this to the writers that I mentor, the pre-published writers, that we, we're all in different circumstances, whether we earn a lot as a writer or, or we don't. But, like, 
as Fleur just said, like for me to uh, tour, to go around it, something, sometimes I'm being paid for by my publisher and sometimes I'm not. And it, it's actually very expensive. For, like I often, which is so nice, readers will often say, oh, why don't you, why aren't you coming to Brisbane? Or why aren't you coming to my library? And I would love to go everywhere, but I'm not always being paid for. And even when I am, the expense, like for someone, for someone like me, the expense of driving my car to the airport even, particularly now when, you know, fuel's gone up in cost. It's actually quite expensive to tour. And I always say to aspiring authors, we're all in different circumstances, but if you give everything away for free, then it makes it more difficult for other authors to ask for what they're worth to ask to have their time paid for. And so if really when you're asking to be paid, you're doing everyone in the industry a service because yeah. we can't all afford to 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 uh, we can't all afford to promote ourselves. And so when we ask to be paid by a festival, you're actually doing something that serves all authors, whether you whether you need the money or not, whether you know, and I do sometimes donate my feedback if it's for a charity organization or for an organisation that I really had had done things to promote me in the past, I will often donate my feedback, but I will ask for it, and so that everyone is being paid, and then it, it makes it easier for those of us coming, those writers coming behind, um, to ask for what to be paid, what they're worth as well. Oh my God, that's such a juicy conversation. And I would love to have that actually with, with each of you, uh, because I just heard an interview recently, and this is true. And in the position that I have supporting authors, I've seen it a lot. And it is part of the, the publishing machine that is frustrating, but you can see where it started or why it started, but equally frustrating. Those who don't need as much help i.e. not really trying to call anybody out, but we'll say a James Patterson. He's Everything's paid for. Everything is paid for and heaps of promotion. Everybody knows his name, <laughs> but he gets it all paid for. And those who are, I would say, middle or lower don't. And I mean, we could, we could open up a can of worms. And I would say even where you are, Fleur, and, and again, I would love to have this conversation as well, because you brought up something really interesting that I thought maybe we'll have an episode or two on this, talking about another side of publishing that you find really interesting, which is what are the behind the scenes things, not in choosing a manuscript necessarily, but in production and what goes into it and maybe giving us a little bit of insight into why they might choose, they might take a punt on one particular manuscript idea and not another even though we'll say they're equally written. I mean, that's always, literally always subjective, <laughs> right? But that those are the things that go into them deciding we're going to put money here or we're not going to put money there. Just as a real quick wrap up for yours too, Flora, I was going to say, you sound too busy to me to have FOMO. Like we talk about FOMO. You haven't got time for FOMO. You've got, oh, you've got kids, time. you've got a farm. You, when do you have time for it? Yeah. That, that doesn't mean that I don't, I don't get FOMO. Um, yeah. And I think this tour that I've just got, see, cause I don't actually know a lot of authors. I've met more authors on this tour that I did because they were doing the in conversations with me than what I actually know. Yes, I know Fiona Palmer. Um, I've met Rachel Treasure a couple of times. I've met Rachel Johns a couple of times. But, you know, uh, this other writing community that's up in Perth that I see on Twitter and 
TikTok and Facebook all the time, you know, like Michael Trant and Holden Shepherd and and all of these these people. I, I don't actually know them. So I'd met Nina Campbell through this. I met Trisha Stringer, uh, Leonie Kelsall. So to actually sit there and talk to them, it makes we don't even get a lot of time to do that when we're doing events either. So yeah, I do get the FOMO because I look at all of this and go, oh, wouldn't that be nice? And then I go, oh well, yeah, come on, we've got another. 2,000 words to write today, get on with it. Because <laughs> um, so, that's what you, well, the, I chose to live here. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I have thought about leaving Aspirants and, and going somewhere that is more creative because I find that my creative well dries up really quickly in writing the two books a year and always thinking about plot lines. And if I'm not doing that, I'm editing or, you know, we're looking at covers or, you know, the, the, the back end of it all. And I feel that, I, I I came back from this tour a lot more creative than what I went away. It was really, really mm. good for me. And that that showed me that what I was I need to do more of, you know, getting out and talking to people and actually participating in life. You know, as an author, we even less we participate in life, we can't, you know, write about people's little quirky habits or natures or or something. We're just relying on our memory or what we've already read in a book. So, you know, participating in life is really important. It can be hard when we are, we do have that little part of being an introvert as well. Mm-hmm. But just going back to the touring side of things, in talking to um, things are so much different now, 10 years later from when I, or 13 years later from when I first started in the publishing world to what it to what it is now, you know, with everything going being more expensive. I found this tour that I did, they had a really strict budget that we had to work to, which in turn then meant I had to cover some of the costs, which I have never, ever had to do before. And then I had other authors saying to me that, you know, like part of some of the girls that I met across the this tour, like, how do we tour? Like, we're not getting our costs covered. We're not doing this. So how do we, how is it financially viable for us to go and do that? And yet I don't see that there's any other way to connect with your readers in the best, other than face-to-face, in the best way. You know, internet's great, absolutely, but to be able to hear people's stories and find out what people love about your books, you know, a couple of feedback was they wanted, from mine, they wanted to see more of Dave's wife. And so I'll probably put that into the books, you know, I can just work that in really, really gently. So, you know, it's just one of those, um, it's so different. And every author is different. There's not one size fits all. You know, everyone does things differently or there's more putting putting more money into uh, to authors that they know are going to sell until they've got the runs on the board. There's just so many different things that sort of seem to come into play. Yeah, it isn't an easy answer, but it is interesting. And especially because I see things from an author point of view uh, and championing authors and saying, you they sign contracts and it's not really necessarily specific in there, although ASA would love for it to be specific, but I would have to say I haven't seen a contract <laughs> where they where they do put explicit money or plans behind the marketing. It's generally a, like I'll say a gentleman's sort of contract. It's just verbal. This is what we're going to do for you. And this is from big five on down right? There's, you don't get a guarantee 
on how they're going to support you. And sometimes it feels like a bit of a, a crapshoot. And of course, I always hope that authors are feeling supported. I guess the biggest thing for me is what you just said to Flora and kind of what this conversation really is about is about that connection. So whether it's community of other writers, which is important, or community built with your readers, and you uh, hinted at something that is really big. There's this, I guess, the stereotype that writers, the quintessential writers, like they go away, <laughs> like the James Conn character in Misery. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants that. Goes away to a little cabin and is just alone and writes. But you can't be a hermit and ever have an unending supply of stuff to write about because you lose touch. And isn't it amazing that you got to go on that tour and only just a few little conversations gave you insight into something that resonated with you. Like any other editorial feedback, it would have to be something that feels right to you when you hear it. And you're like, oh yeah, I didn't think of that. And what an easy, and I'm using that in air quotes, easy, (laughs) easy fix to sprinkle it in a few sentences here or there, where then you've given somebody, a reader, the gift that they asked for. And then how beautiful if they read your next book and they see that you've taken that on board. You've just cemented a relationship, right? And that connection is part of what you're doing the writing for. And this is all about connection as it is with anything to do with business. Mm -hmm. Uh, The connection that we have with our readers will make them go out and buy the books, the relationships that we create. You know, that's the, you always know when you've done a really good event by the way that people buy the books afterwards. And that's that connection that you've done with that event. Yeah. And you can't, as much as we'd like to, and I would like to think because we're all in these outside of the, the central areas that we could do exactly the same using online if we have consistent internet (laughs) service. But really sometimes, even though we can get close with video and Zoom, I've been on Zoom since 2016. It was only everybody else caught up. But the, the visual is great, but you're right. I don't think it quite necessarily catches up. So we can do it locally I mean, there are people who live on Kangaroo Island with you, (laughs) Derry, and hopefully maybe more of them will become readers of fiction set in history, or we take it wider, right? And we take these little chances. We have been talking, it's been an amazing chat. I have an ellipsis after each of these conversations with you. So I really, really hope each of you will come back onto the podcast and have a longer chat where we can dive into more really about what you write and your process as well, because I know for a fact that each of you will have a slightly different process for your writing, certainly different timelines, but a different process because of course you're also writing different genres. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you for taking a chance on our internet connections as well and coming on to talk on the podcast today, everyone. Thank you so much for having us. I really enjoyed chatting. Oh, good. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more writers in conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. 
Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.